ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, everybody else in the world, everybody else on this planet, four-legged friends, reptiles, amphibians, and other kinds of mammals as well. I'm sure there's some uh, species I'm leaving out, and I'm apologizing for that. This is Tommy D. We call the show Pals, the Professionals and Animal Lovers Show. And Valerie, before we even introduce our guests, and before you even introduce yourself, I saw a tail wagging in front of you i need to know i have a rule here on our show if you show up you must introduce yourself who is that valerie puppy's back making her cameo she's not going to stick around for long though so everybody look at that oh my god look at those eyes look at those eyes oh my god so so special who was here before we were in the green room phoebe was here Phoebe was here. The little terrorist was here. Little, little terrorist. What a cute nickname for a cat. That's really a great way. You know, if you want to adopt cats and have cats fostered out, don't call them little terrorists. Like that might be like a thing. Like that's not, that's not how you get adopted. I just want to tell you one little quick story. So, cause I know my husband will hear this podcast and he loves to plant and garden. So he brought in these three giant potted plants of tomatoes the other night indoors. Cause it was going to be too cold overnight and I said mm, I think the cats are going to love that and he said no no it'll be fine and the next morning we came out to like a war zone of of dirt and soil all over the floor with like little paw prints all over <laughs> all right, so that's a good nickname uh, you know what I take all that back I take everything I said <laughs> at least in the first 10 seconds of this show yeah. All right, before we get in, we introduce our guests. I want to say a couple things. We we want to amplify the message that the bond between animal lovers, those of us who care about animals, those of us who are advocates on behalf of animals, that time I said me, Val, I included me. I said those of us who are advocates, because I'm I'm really bought in. You convinced me that I am I am now an animal advocate. I am yes, learning. You are. We do three things. We do three things on the show, uh, but we want to show that that bond is is critically important. Um, we do three things. We learn we educate and we advocate and we want to support each other in business and in building community really so that everyone wins especially the animals i always worry that i'm going to set it up and you're going to forget to say that and then that's because my only line if you're my only line, line, i better not forget it especially the animals we do this look we got an incredible community here we're here every week live from 2 p.m eastern time to 3 p.m eastern time that is the east coast uh where we operate from and then after the show, after it's live, you can watch us on Facebook or while it's live, you can watch us on Facebook, Talking Alternative Broadcasting. You can listen on talkradio.nyc. You can listen to the landscapers outside of my house here on Long Island, because I don't know if, you, if the audio is picking that up. Usually it's the Long Island Railroad, but today we have the gardeners here today, too. So there's a lot going on. So I, I may go to mute at certain times. But look, we bring guests here to tell stories, to educate us on what's going on in the world of animal advocacy. Um, Val, there is something we have coming up that you might want to talk about maybe next week. You want to mention that real yes. quick before we so, introduce Ross right. and Amanda? Yes, thank you. So really quickly, um, I would like to invite everyone, if you live in the state of New York, we so need your voice because this bill, which we've been pushing for for years, um, is uh, it's the anti-puppy bill bill. But it's also kitten mills and rabbit mills. Um, so the bill is proposed and it's in right now, New York State Assembly. We're having a call night. We're going to be calling legislators and we need everyone's voice to, to help us garner more support for this bill, get it out of the codes committee, onto the assembly floor for a vote. 
this bill has so many co-sponsors that we are very confident if it got into the if it got onto the floor, it will pass. So for more information, uh, I have a flyer and also you can go to the Facebook group um, Voters for Voiceless. That's voters, plural, the number four voiceless. Thank you. Thank you, Val. Thanks for pointing that all out. And that is that is critically important for us to get involved. So we want to support that as well. In fact, we have uh, we have some we've tossed a line, tossed some communication out to the Animal Defense League Foundation. Right. I don't know where Brian and I over there have been trading some voicemails. Brian, if you're listening, we need to get on a call uh, to see how we can come together on this project. All right. So without further ado, I want to introduce our two guests um, really here representing uh I don't want to say like, I like some animals more than other animals, but I will tell you this. There's something about horses. There's something about horses. I, I sit on the board of horse ability out here on Long Island. Shout out to my friend, Katie McGowan and the whole team of horse ability. They do uh, equine therapy and hippotherapy for people struggling with PTSD veterans and, and individuals with intellectual and developmental disabilities, incredible organization. Horses are so special. Manda and, and Ross, I'm going to introduce you in a second, but I feel, I literally feel my blood pressure going down and I feel more calm when I'm around the horses. And I don't think that's just my own making that stuff up. I just want to say one other thing. I happen to be out in Reno, Nevada, and I used to think it was called Nevada, but I learned it's Nevada. So I was out in Reno, Nevada at Wynema Ranch, where I got to see about 150 wild horses myself. Makes me think I saw wild horses, but I got to see all those horses. And again, I was out there with my wife and so special, the connection we have with these horses. When I was doing some research for the show just now, uh, earlier today, that is, um, I saw, and I'm looking up at the name, Moses Brings Plenty. Uh, a, a Native American that's connected to your organization. I was crying earlier today, which happens a lot. If you ask my children, they'll tell you I do that often. But I was doing it because this man was crying because he was telling the story of these horses and how we as men and women, and you mean the, you know, the people folk, we're, are not doing the right thing by these animals. And it said, I, I, this is the other thing I picked off of your website. The world must rewild on a massive scale to heal nature and climate. So this is a problem. We know it. This climate situation, nature is telling us it's a problem. Manda is here from the Canna Foundation. Manda Kalamian and Dr. Ross McPhee, who is on the board and is also with the American Museum of National of uh, Natural History. I'd just like to say hello. Welcome to the Professionals and Animal Lovers show to you both. Let's just dive into this conversation, please. Yeah. Well, first, can I just say thank you so much for having us. We're so happy to be here and excited. Can so, say that. You're welcome. Thank you for being here. <laughs> yes, and the work that you guys do and giving those shout outs to legislators and getting bills passed and onto the floor, that's the only way to effectuate change. Woo-hoo! <laughs> we got to get you some pom-poms. Val, maybe we have to have Pal's pom-poms, like made up, like branded pom-poms. Yeah. Ross, would you yeah. like some pom-poms? Can we get you some pom-poms, Dr. McPhee? You can, but I don't have the body for it. So. <laughs> <laughs> Neither do I anymore. They're not heavy, though. You know, it's not heavy lifting. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, well, let, where do we start? Where, where do we start to discuss this problem? Ross, Amanda, who wants to kind of take it on to what it, rewilding? What is that even about? What, what does that mean? Well, I'll jump in and I'll give it to you from a fairly scientific 
uh, perspective and then Manda will come in and show you how it affects all of us. Rewilding sounds like a big word, but it really isn't. It, all it really means is trying to take us humans a little bit out of the picture and let nature take its course. I'm not here to say that North America needs to look like it did 600 years ago before Europeans showed up. We're not saying that at all. We're saying and said the following, that we are at a point in history, as everyone listening to this program who cares has already realized, we're at a cusp. And where that cusp is, is that we have to make a choice between business as usual, in which case it's a slippery, possibly very fast slope down to utter disaster, or we need to manage, but we need to manage properly. And part of managing is to make the following decision. Let the wild things be wild. Plants, animals, even viruses and bacteria, they're all part of the picture. And so are we. And consequently, we have to come up with ways in which the planning is done properly. But what Canna Foundation stands for is rewilding in the sense that we would like to see large parts of North America devoted to bringing back what we can that has left because of too much of us in every regard. This does not mean changing everything. Instead, what it means very simply is that we balance it out. And we're capable of doing that, surely. So it does remind me of our dear friend, John DiLeonardo, who runs LION, which uh, it stands for Long Island Orchestrating for Nature. He was a prior guest and a friend on the show who he simply says, wild animals belong in the wild. And so I know for me, when I see these images of horses running for their lives, being chased by a helicopter, which is a helicopter that's paid for by taxpayer dollars, and they're driven out of fear into these pens, these metal pens, it breaks my heart. And these pens look way too small. I mean, I'm sure that any kind of, you know, this containment structure reminds me too of like what SeaWorld did, right? They took orcas out of the wild and they're cast away from their paws and they put them into a tank. And a lot of people say, but look how big the tank is. It's not the ocean, right? So it's just heartbreaking when you know that these animals were literally born to run. You, so you wanted, big problem you, wanted to slip big problem. That, you wanted to slip that born to run thing in there. You were like, uh, <laughs> I or, or is that just like born to rewild? Or just, uh, uh, that's it. And, and again, you know, I, I watch some of this stuff. And, man, I want just a little, just a little, yeah, you know, a little, a little plug, book. a little plug a little for my book. Well, it's yeah. funny though. You've already in watching a video earlier on YouTube. You've already written the other two books. Maybe not in ink yet, but in your mind, oh, you've, already, oh. you've already seen the two, right? Oh yes, my friend. It's already, <laughs> it's already preordained. It's right there. I love it. Tell us about. <laughs> Can we also just go back for a, like a, a smidgen here? So this Canna Foundation was something I just, I, I was invited to an event and that's where I first met yes. people from the, and yes. And so, but my question is like, how did you even come up with this to start this foundation? Like, how did you find out about what you know and, and what drove you to start this, this mission? 
So <clears throat> thanks. So I think that's a good way to bring up um, for your listeners, because I think it's important that we just give them a little background information so they completely understand why <clears throat> rewilding in and of itself, re- helping nature to just do what it does naturally is important in all regard. Mm-hmm. But how we connected this particular environmental novel ecosystem um, building to wild horses came from a need for a solution, a solution-based desire. So I think everybody should understand. So I started my journey, I'm just like anybody else, you know, those of us that live out here on the island or any other place, you know, had a little life, had a husband, has two kids and, you know, and rode horses. I rode horses since I was little, right? My, my dad put me on, I had on my first pony ride at three, the little pony on the side of the road. And that was, that was the love affair that began my life. Right. Right. So here I was riding around. I received an email one day that, you know, instead of deleting it, I actually opened it and looked at it. It was talking about um, an or a, a rescue that's actually out east and how she was needing money because she just went to the auction house and rescued two or three horses, one pregnant mare from the kill buyer. Oh, so I read this and looked at this and I was literally flaw a kill buyer well, i know what's a kill buyer i've never heard of that before the auction house what you know well kill buyers take the horses to slaughter so so i know that slaughter is illegal horse slaughter was voted illegal in this country so i reached out to her to find out more so i could understand this is what happened i mean here i am i ride horses i have horses i have horse friends i have all these people and i'm thinking to myself Oh my God, what? And then I have to tell everybody I know who is a horse person about this. Little you know, did you I never know. Hear, you I hear someone growing up saying, when I grow up, I want to be a kill buyer. I mean, it's really sad that that even exists. But I, okay, so time out because I know we have to go to break, but uh, we're, we're coming right back to this very topic. Just, just hit the pause button. We'll gather our thoughts. I'm, I have already 5 million questions. I'll try not to answer, uh, ask them all. But um, we, we're going to go for a quick 90-second break, okay? Stay there. Come, come back. <laughs> Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy. And I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. Hi. 
Are you on edge? Hey, we live in challenging, edgy times, so let's lean in. I'm Sandra Bargeman, the host of The Edge of Every Day, which airs each Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Tune in live with me and my friends and colleagues as we share stories and perspectives about pushing boundaries and exploring our rough edges. That's The Edge of Every Day on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. I had to go get like a drink of water because I get so angry and I I should probably just get a horse because if it's true that they lower your blood pressure, I definitely need one, at least one. But, so you were saying, Manda, sorry. Uh, so you, you got involved because you found out about this horrific situation and then what happened? So I went, I found out that, well, I found out that um, people, whether you are, the racing industry is both hands down the worst whether you're a local barn or a college that has horses that, that are no longer rideable, some, nobody wants to pay to keep them in their retirement. So they send them to these auction houses and they're just giant feedlots. And once a week, people have auctions and they bring out a horse and, you know, $100, $200, some, you, people come and you can get a horse. But 90% of the people that go to these are these kill buyers. And they buy these horses, load them up on the trucks, and they drive them over the Canadian and Mexican borders to the slaughterhouses. What is the utility, Amanda? What are they, I, I think I know where we're going, but it's making me kind of sad already. But what are they going to do with these horses when they get to over the border? So they take them to the slaughterhouses and they slaughter okay. them for meat and they export the meat to Europe, right? Horse meat is a mainstay in Canada. And right, people eat horse meat in Canada and Mexico. They, you know, so they have been shipping meat to Europe. I did not know that. Oh my gosh, you you can't even know the things. I mean, in I mean, there are certain. There's a whole thing in Canada. They there is in Japan. The wealthy people can order a horse. You can go to a restaurant, these special restaurants, you can pre-order a horse. There are these planes that will ship in a, a, a horse from somewhere and they sushi it up for you fresh. It's so crazy. These horses, the sentient beings that are actually walked every step of life with us from building civilization, being our friends, fighting our wars, helping us, you know, put late tracks for trains and every other thing that they've done for us. Now, you know, people just, the, the means of disposal of all of these, it, it's terrible. It's just, it's just a reflection of humanity right so or lack thereof 
Well, that's exactly right. I mean, who we who we have become and what we are. So I found out all about this and I said, gee, I have to do something. I can't Love just that. horses have given back to me my whole life. So I started that started the journey 15 years ago. Um, little did I realize that all the friends and trainers and everybody else that was riding horses, nobody wanted to get involved, get their hands dirty or know anything about it. Trainers turned a blind eye because most of them were sending horses to the unknown auction house. Oh yes, no, it'll get sold. Somebody will buy it. And that's really untrue. Okay. So I set out and the journey took me here, there, and everywhere. I went out West and through this, I realized it's our wild horses. The wild horses are really the key to all of this. And I think it's important people understand what's happening. And they understand that we as American citizens, you are an American citizen, you pay taxes, you own 248 million acres of public land that belong to the American people. You are an owner in that, you pay taxes. But your tax dollars pay the Department of the Interior, Deb Halland, she works for you. The BLM, the director, Tracy Stone Manning, she works for you. Can you just uh, say what BLM is? Because it kind of took on a different definition recently, but yes, government. I'm so so I'm in the Department of the Interior is the BLM. This is Peanut. Say hello. Hi, Peanut. Hello, Peanut. She says hello. She came by. So um That's the, the rule. They came by. The BLM is the Bureau of Land Management. And the Bureau of Land Management works under the Department of the Interior, and they oversee the public lands. They work with the Forest Service. They are in charge of all of that. And in that, there are wild horses. And the wild horses are mandated from the 1971 Wild Horse and Burrow Act to live free lives on the public rangelands and the bureau of land management is supposed to oversee their well-being manage the herds manage the land and have a cooperative sympathetic balance of nature and mm. all that really has happened from the beginning of uh, 50 years ago when the act was in, it was created is that the government doesn't really want the horses on the land they want to use the land they want it to to um for special interest groups, oil, fracking, drilling, um, and the cattle lobby. Agricultural farming is the largest land leaser, land leasing of this land. And um, they lease out your land to all these factions. They spent 120 million of your tax dollars rounding up horses and chasing them down with helicopters and holding them in government holding facilities and blaming them. The horses are caught in the crossfire and blaming the horses for everything that's wrong with the land, giving them a new excuse as to why they have to round them up. They consider the horses are an invasive species. They say right. are, and this is important, and this is what yeah. we'll need Ross to, to explain, but they say that the horses are invasive and destroying the land, that they are not originally from North America. And that they came over with the conquistador 600 years ago. So this is the key component. And it, it, this may sound like, whoa, but the reality is, is that because that's their claim, right? The government's claim. Right. Now that puts you and the Canna Foundation and, and the best interests of these beautiful, intelligent, 
sentient beings, it puts you in the position to have to disprove that claim, correct? It, it puts anybody who cares about the horses that believes right. that they belong here because they are a native species yes. to, to our continent in North America. So, so let's talk about that. Definitely. Let's talk about the history. So I remember when we first spoke, I mean, we were going into like way, way back. We're talking like, you know, dinosaur <laughs> arrows, right? So yeah. what can you tell us that, that, you know, paints the picture of, of how these horses really do belong where they are. Well, well that is, that's all Ross. That is indeed all Ross. Uh, a thing to understand about horses and, and the group that they belong to in scientific terms is that they originated on this continent and they originated at least 53 million years ago. That's not exactly dinosaur time, but it's not that much distant from it either. And horses or horse-like organisms, but within this evolutionary group, have been on this continent since then, except mm -hmm. for a very short gap, which is contracting all the time, which I'll get to in a minute, of the last few thousand years. Now, the horses we know, the domestic horse, that particular species, in, uh, in science talk, that's called a cabaline horse. And once again, the record is very clear that cabaline horses arose on this continent. But here's what happened. Back in the ice ages, sea level was very much lower than it is now. And what that meant was that a land bridge was exposed between easternmost Siberia or the Russian Far East and Alaska. And lots of different mammals used that as a faunal highway to go from one side to the other. So for example, one of the reasons why we have bison in North America is because bison, which originated in Asia, crossed that land bridge, did very well here, and became part of our picture. Mm -hmm. Horses went in the opposite direction. They arose here, the land bridge came up, they crossed over, and they did very well on the other side, not only in Eurasia, but got down into Africa to become zebras and, and so forth. Wow. Now, here is the mystery. The mystery is that horse populations collapsed probably everywhere, but they certainly collapsed drastically in North America beginning around 11, 12,000 years ago. It was thought for a long time until really last year that that meant that the horses became extinct along with woolly mammoths and along with short-faced bears and saber-toothed cats and everything your kids have heard about. We now know that's not true. We now know on the basis of ancient DNA evidence collected by my colleagues at McMaster University in Hamilton, Ontario, hmm. that horses survived until at least 6,000 years ago and possibly longer. They don't have a record that goes to fill the gap between 6,000 and say the arrival of Europeans, but they're working on that. Now, why does this matter? It matters to me, and I think it ought to matter to everybody who's listening, is that you do not lose your citizenship just because you're gone for a while. <laughs> and that's really what we're talking about. BLM is making the argument that because horses apparently disappeared 10,000 years ago from North America, that that's it. We owe them nothing. Whoever came back is somebody else, some different species, allegedly. And this is just wrong. From any biological point of view, this is nonsense. Yet they get away with it. 
and that line gets repeated again and again. There's nobody telling them not to, regrettably, that they can't make such claims, except for Kana and Kana's supporters. And so that's what we're trying to do right now. We're trying to make this very public that the Department of the Interior is misleading us about the status of that particular species. There's one more thing I need to say. Yeah. A perspective on the horse comes not only from the cattle industry, but from biologists as well, that it's a disruptive, damaging kind of species. It gets into a grassland, it destroys it, and that ruins the environment for everything else that's native that lives there. Not only is this not true, but it's, it's really the reverse of what happens. The reason why horses did so well in North America and why other large herbivores, of which there were many prior to these Ice Age extinctions, the reason they did so well there is because the interior of North America is one vast grassland, or at least started out that way. And it's these animals in their millions, if not billions of individuals, who were responsible for maintaining and engineering that land. Now, how did they do that? Through throughput, eating all the time, as you have to do when you're that large, eating, digesting, defecating, returning the material back to the land. And that's what they did. And then they well, disappeared. Yeah, I mean, I, I, anyone who gardens and anyone who farms, I mean, they all know, like, uh, you can actually buy, I didn't know this until we had chickens, but you can actually buy chicken poop, for lack of a better term. That's probably not the scientific term, but you can buy it. It's in demand to fertilize gardens. But, you know, this is, this is, riveting for me. Um, I know, Tommy, that we have to go to break, but I also wanted to pick up from where we leave off here. And I know you wanted to also bring up a key, keystone something, right? Yeah, well, I, I think that's where, and, and Dr. McPhee, I think that's possibly where you're going to go next to this keystone species, this idea about, you know, how the, these, uh, these animals are vital to everything else, the other habitat that surrounds them. I don't want you to answer that because I want, we got to tease people. We got to tease them. You know, like horses and people are different. People need to be teased. We will be right back in 90 seconds. This is your Professionals and Animal Lovers show. Dr. Ross McPhee is here. Amanda is here from the Canada Foundation. And we will be right back. Valerie's here too. Right back. Howdy. I am Joseph Franklin McElroy, host of the new podcast, Gateway to the Smokies. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Tuesday night from 6 p.m. to 7 Every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and surrounding areas. This show features experts and locals who will expound upon the richness of culture, history, and adventure that awaits you in the Smokies. Tune in every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 on talkradio.nyc. Are you passionate about the conversation around racism? Hi, I'm Reverend Dr. TLC, host of the Dismantle Racism Show, which airs every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Join me and my amazing guests as we discuss ways to uncover, dismantle, and eradicate racism. That's Thursdays at 11 o'clock a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a small business trying to navigate the COVID-19 related employment laws? Hello, I'm Eric Sauver, employment law business law attorney and host of the new radio show, Employment Law Today. On my show, we'll have guests to discuss the common employment law challenges 
business owners are facing during these trying times. Tune in on Tuesday evenings from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. This is the Professionals and Animal Lovers show. I'm still sharing the screen here because uh, if you're watching on Facebook, Canna Foundation, C-A-N-A Foundation.org. And this is a comment that that Amanda made right before the break. Uh, and then we got the science lesson uh, from Dr. McPhee. But the horse as a native species to North America is an integral component of the natural system, as stated in, in the Bureau of Land Management's Wild, Ro- Wild Free Roaming Horses and Burrows Act of 1971. So we were doing a history lesson there, Dr. McPhee, but, um, you know, 1971 is a long time ago, too. Not 53 million years ago, a long time, but this has been out there. This is like, it, this is existing, right? It's, I, I want you to talk to us about, if you could, something that I didn't know about, and I cannot wait till my dad gets to see this show, because he's a big, big horse person. Um, I, I want you to um, talk about that that keystone species piece that we started to talk about right before uh, the break. Keystone species. This is a concept that actually came out of um, animal, big animal ecologists working in Africa who noted the following, that the really biggest animals like African elephants actually make life possible for some of their smaller cousins like antelope. And they do that in the following way. They don't stop at anything. If you're an elephant, there's no place you can't go. But the bush is the bush. And for smaller animals, like, uh, like antelope, as I, as I said, but it, it would apply to many others as well. If the bush grows up, they can't get to possible food resources. But elephants, not doing it out of any sense of altruism, I'm not implying that, but by virtue of going where they want to go, they create pathways yeah. for other organisms. So that makes them a keystone in one sense. But there's many other kinds of keystones. And the one I want to talk about now is what horses and horse-like large mega herbivores represent in ecosystems like grasslands. What they do is prevent trees from growing up everywhere. Now I'm sure everybody on this program thinks that, that trees are great, and so they are. But so are grasslands. And here's the reason. Once a tree dies on the surface, that carbon, as it rots, goes back to the atmosphere. As long as the tree is alive, it's it's encumbering and trapping that carbon. Once it dies, it gets released. With grasses, all the action is in their root systems. It's all below ground. And there's very little above ground. So when that is grazed off, as what happens with with horses and cattle and, and other grazing animals, is that the roots survive. And, and in fact, they get stimulated by virtue of having their blades chopped off, so to speak. That encourages new growth. Kind of like haircut. People do it. When you get your ends cut off. People do it for, for tens of thousands of years. So wow. what we're talking about is overturn. And what we're talking about is the kind of overturn that's beneficial. 
And here in a very simple way is how that works. The horses come onto the land or the cattle, if you're a cattle lover, I'm not against cattle. They eat, they defecate. Meanwhile, they're making more of themselves by procreation so that the population remains viable and enough to eat what is there for as long as is possible. And as long as there is this feedback kind of mechanism and turnover, it all works perfectly well. You take off the mega herbivores, however, and it's no longer a simple kind of system anymore. What you get are other species that are going to invade those areas. You don't have the keystones there anymore. And one of the things that happens is forest growth replaces grassland. I'm in favor of both in their special areas. The thing about grasslands is that they're much more drought tolerant than forests are, which is the reason why the interior of North America has been a grassland for such a very long period of time. And if you think it's important to maintain that, as you should, because there's so many other animals that depend on grasslands. I'm talking here small rodents. I'm talking uh, raptorial birds who depend on those rodents being there in order to thrive and so on, all the way down to the microbiome, the very small bacteria and virusized organisms that actually contribute to the healthy function of grasslands. You want them there. Because I'm they're so adapted. afraid to mess with and nature in general. Sorry, I, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I, I'm no, just so afraid. Like, I feel like we should be afraid of trying to redesign, you know, what nature um, has what had intended and the way that things are. I think it's it's just unnatural. I mean, that just seems like the most obvious word in the word world and word in the world. But it is. Like nature knows what it's doing. I mean, just I understand that this legislation has been around for 50 something years, but like you guys are saying, that's that's like a drop in the bucket of history. And you know, I remember this moment and I just want to bring it up because it was really powerful. When I went to your event, Amanda and uh Mo Mo was there, Moses, and um So Val, why did you tell them it was the we had a ledge panel? It was a legislative yeah, panel. And it was bipartisan, which really was very good. Um, and he, first of all, he's he's indigenous to this this country and this, these lands. And um, he spoke in his you know native tongue, and it was that was fascinating. But when I heard him relay the story, which is one of the programs that Canada is involved with of how when they are able to rewild these horses and they come out of the, the metal trailer that they have to be transported in, they dance. I, I get chills just thinking about it. He says they actually dance. They're so happy because they're on grass again. I mean, what are we doing? The thought of animals being mistreated the way that they are, driven into these pens, scared for their lives, injuring themselves that's not a life for them what are we doing and and also while i'm at it manda it's before i forget we have to also communicate to our audience what they can do and how we can help yes Ooh, sorry no, let me, no, let me. no it's a very but i want ross can, do you mind if i just kind of dive in here i, I would love ross to 
because the thing is, so somebody's going to sit and listen and say, okay, well, we have cattle on the land and they're grazing. But that's not creating biodiversity and balance. That's over abuse. Maybe Ross can just give us an overview of Ross, that. Amanda, let me, let me just ask a question if I could, because I want to, I think I want to go in the same direction, but Ross, I want to take this from the perspective of the people who are not in our tribe or saying, Hey Ross, listen, man, I don't, you're telling me this is going to affect, you know, the small rodents or it's going to affect other animals in the grasslands. Great. How's this going to affect me as a human? And I don't feel that way, but this is, I think, where we have to go. Devil's advocate, right. So, mm-hmm. so let's play to those folks for a minute, like, because that's what a lot of people are going to, hey, man, listen, this is evolution. You know, this is what goes on. Like, we're building big buildings, and we have cars, and we have trains, and airplanes, and stuff. So, like, I think we, can we speak to that, how it affects the human species as a result of these other species being uh, eliminated as a result of us eliminating the horses, if you could. And then with, with Mandy's piece there too. I, I can't. I, it's not that I don't understand cost-benefit analyses and, and comparisons, but here's the thing. I live in New York City. I'm surrounded by concrete. It's everywhere. I'm not very far from Central Park, which is great, but a lot of people aren't. And there's something inherent in people, I firmly believe this, who don't want to live in concrete all the time. They want alternatives. They want to think that there are places that they can visit which are more or less the way they should be. Having said that, why is it good to have horses and other mega herbivores around? If you believe that nature formulates its own balance without human intervention, which is certainly the way it was for the last couple of billion years, then it only makes sense to allow that to happen again where it can happen again. One of the things that American audiences unfortunately are not sufficiently exposed to is what goes on elsewhere. Rewilding has been around in Europe for the last 20 to 30 years, and they've made tremendous progress. And and it's no longer a question about, well, is this a good thing or a bad thing? It's life. It's life as it should be lived. It's something that we all want to experience. They're ahead of the game. Because in Europe, there's really, relatively speaking, large areas that are no longer in productive agriculture because nobody can make a living at it. So the land has reverted to the state, and the state is saying, let's use that as rewilding territory. And that goes on in in many countries and, and, and to great benefit. Now, last point about why you should care. Think about this, where you've had agriculture for the last 50 to 100 years, which would be everywhere in the central part of the country. The original fertility of the soil is long gone. How it's preserved now, if it preserved is even the right word, is by dumping fertilizer in huge quantities and herbicides to keep the weeds down. And you don't know the number of knock-on effects that has. One of the things it destroys is the original microbiome that was responsible for keeping much of that apparatus going. It's the bacteria and so forth that have all the hard jobs in nature, not us. And if you get rid of them, you cause a massive degradation in those soils. Those soils can be recovered. And horses and cattle, which I emphasize, can be part of the picture. But it has to be done in balance. And it's not ever, never should have been a question of cattle against horses. Thank you. Thank you, Ross. Thank you. And thank you, Amanda. And, you know, I just, 
man, I knew where in what direction you were going. I just wanted to take that counterintuitive perspective because there are going to be some people that are just going to feel that way and say, Hey man, I'm a person. I'm not a horse. What does this matter? You know, like that. Can I, I know we have to go to break. Yeah, go ahead. But we're well, going to let go. me tell you something because this is where I get all heated up. Bro, you have to calm me down. <laughs> you should care. Everyone should care. Let's talk about nature versus pandemics and how we treat the animals and there's no grasses or nature left and everything's going to be concrete. We can talk about it from varying directions. The fact that we are, we are all part of one, and you know, no, this is our planet. We're connected to this planet. So why aren't we, we, why do you not think that you're connected to the plants and the trees and the animals? Because we can't survive without them. They help us. They have to sequester the carbon that we're, we're emitting all over the place. We have to feel good. Wouldn't it be nice? I mean, everybody, children have anxiety. All we do is prescribe medications for anxiety and valiums and this and that take your shoes off and go out and take a walk ross is laughing at me and it's true right i I love it i'm sorry ross i just want to make you understand first of all you are you are my kind of human let me just say that but before that I want you, I was taking the other side. I don't believe in the other side. I was just playing, you no, know no, that. No, I understand, but you I, gave me an opportunity know, to get know, heated up and I, come I in. You up. I got you fired up. I love I'm it. I'm all fired up, okay? Listen, do you want your children with a mask on for the rest of oh, their life? No, ma'am. No, I do not. Okay? Give those animals some room, baby. I totally no. agree. I totally, I totally agree. And unfortunately, I agree that we have to take a break now. Dylan's going to tell me to <laughs> We need to take a break. We're going to take a quick break and uh, we'll come back and we will, uh, we're, we're going to just, you got to share with me the book, how we, how we support, you know, how we connect. You mentioned there's, you have horses that we can, maybe I could visit because I'm not so far from where those horses are. Let's talk about all that when we come back. Professionals and Animal Lovers Show, we call it pals. Hey everybody, it's Tommy D, the nonprofit sector connector coming at you from my attic. Each week here on talkradio.nyc, I host a program, Philanthropy and Focus. Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on talkradio.nyc. In a post-COVID world, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be Frank About Health to advocate for all of us. Calling all pet lovers... On the Professionals and Animal Lovers show, we believe the bond between animal lovers is incredibly strong. It mirrors that bond between pets and their owners. Through this program, we come together to learn, educate, and advocate. Join us live every Wednesday at 2 p.m. at talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. 
it's not every week on the professionals and animal lovers circus that I get to bring you a cowboy hat, but today is one of those days and I'm not sure where the Canna Foundation and the museum feels lands on the, the cowboy, but you know what? I had a cowboy hat in the attic and we're talking horses and that's how that's how we roll sometimes here, Valerie. I saw you shaking it off. You said, no, I hope he's not gonna put that hat on. Well, too late. Mental telepathy. I was hey, like, Val, Val, yeah. Save a horse, ride a cowboy. Oh wow. <laughs> Have you never heard that song? Uh I, I is that a song? song. Yes, save a horse, ride a cowboy. Who does that? Who sings that's that song? Hilarious. Yes, it's a Western. If you oh, just Google that, you're going to get the song. Awesome. I love it. Okay. I'm sure I'll get a bunch of t-shirts that say that same thing on there, too. <laughs> I want bring to, us back. <laughs> I want, I'm trying. I, I'm trying to lasso it in. Ha. Huh? I want to. <laughs> well done. Well done. Rain it in. Rain it in. We, uh, we need to also get into like how people can help obviously we can we're going to put up uh the links in the to your social media and website but i remember at the event i think there was like a sponsor a rewild or something like that and um like if you can talk about any programs that people might be able to participate in uh, i really want people to know how they can help thanks so okay so let me give you just a quick sort of overview of what we're doing right so that you so that people understand what needs to be done and what's happening up there so we have several different arms right we are working on policy we go to washington we work on policy in 2019 we had um policy written that that um, offers up rewilding as a management tool for wild horses we did that in 2000 the appropriation budget bill so that language is there we have a law firm we've sued the government for one of the last roundups they had in January, which was just so blatantly egregious, mm. right? That the government did not follow any of their protocols and procedures, and many young horses were being were were dying, breaking legs during the oh. procedures, and oh. it was just inhuman and abuse, right? We have an awareness campaign, we have an educational campaign. So here's the thing: if you are interested to understand. We love the horses. The horses are our hearts. They're everything to us. So we must save our wild horses. We have to understand that the government wants to round up 22,000 wild horses this year, more than any other number, right? We are 60 or 65,000 wild horses free roaming currently. They want to take that number down to 25, 23,000 in its entirety. And do what with them? Well, they'll leave 23,000 out there and they're going to take the rest. And here's the concern. We, well, I don't know. I don't really know what the plan is. I, well, I actually kind of think I do. We get to keep paying for them. Then the government will come in and say, okay, well, this is unsustainable to now pay for 100,000 horses, right? In holding facilities, we need to slaughter them. Then they will find a way to make slaughter legal because how are we going to keep paying for all these horses that nobody wants to adopt, that they've rounded up? Do you know the BLM, the, the government, that faction of the government blames climate change on the horses. They say, oh, climate, these horses are creating climate change. There's no such thing. The government oh, use of our land is a major contributor, right, to carbon emissions. The more cattle we ranch and farm without balance, 
right? The more oil we drill, fracking and all of that, we are just continuing to destroy the land, the biodiversity. So we need to educate ourselves. We need to say, wait a second, it's, it's the horses, but maybe it's not just about the horses. It's about all of it. And what can I do? And why can't I do? Okay, well, I don't have a horse and I, I don't, I can't do this or I'm not lobbying, but you can do things. Mm-hmm. You can do things in your backyard. You can be sustainable for what you can do for the environment. You can do um, safe, creative ways to help your grasses grow, your native species. You can speak up for the horses. You can vote for legislators in your area that are like-minded, that want to see animal advocacy and environmental justice. Because without those things, it doesn't matter how much money you make, how big your house is, what your job is, how many vacations you take a year, and how much you shop and buy. There will be no, we'll be ill, there'll be no planet. I mean, we are on a course of destruction, as Ross pointed out to us. I have a question. I have yes. A, and I will, and I'm just going to put you on the spot. I, Go ahead. I, I, I love that. I love that fast. Here's, here's what it is. Because my friend and co-host here, who is, uh, swears she wants me to be a politician one day. And I. No, I want you to be an elected official. Oh, <laughs> well played. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yes. She wants me to be an elected official. What about you? Amanda, what about you? I mean, you're so passionate about this stuff. And from an advocacy perspective here on Long Island in New, in New York, is it something in your future? Bring it on. Yes. Ooh. Oh, my God. I am not afraid. I have nothing to fear because I stand in truth. Yes. And let me say something. I'm the on. truth isn't always, may not always bode for what I want. Mm-hmm. But we've got to stand in truth and we've mm-hmm. got to work with science. We've yeah. got to have science-backed initiatives to guide the way. And if you were to know that the Bureau of Land Management doesn't even have current science, they're working with science from 30, 40 years ago. Oh, what Ross is this? What, what is you. this science thing you talk out. about? What is this science you talk about? Well, what do you mean, these people? I'm, I'm joking with you again. Don't get heated at me again. Uh, <laughs> my turn. Yes. yes. Go ahead, Ross. Bring us home. Okay. Everything that Amanda just said is true. But the way to get hearts and minds is to show that all of these antitheticals that set, get set up cattle versus horses use of land only for agriculture versus use of land for entertainment and, and, and enjoyment and so on. It doesn't have to be that way, for Christ's sake. Right. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to bleep that one. But oh, not at all. No, not, not at all. all. That's allowed. It does not have to be that way. For example, most people who are horse advocates, I think Manda will agree with this, think that cattle are the devil incarnate. That is not the case, and it doesn't have to be the case. They prefer different parts of what grasslands have to offer. Horses prefer grasses, per se. Cattle tend to prefer, prefer forbs, which are non-graminoids, non-grasses, but heavy in protein, because they, they can digest them better, and so on and so forth. So instead of always setting up oppositions, think mm-hmm. about productive ways that everything 
can work very much better. It's not a binary option, in other words. And if we had large areas that were meant right. to be rewilding, that doesn't mean that there's nothing else that can happen there. Right. Wind power generation, solar power generation, yes. other kinds of uses. That guys, are I love the passion. I love the passion. Okay. Film. I love the passion, guys. And we're just about to close, but I just wanted to thank you both for being here. And I have a feeling this conversation is not over and we're going to have to maybe have you back. Yes. Oh, but, well, I want to say, so Born to Rewild, you have to buy and read Born to Rewild, right? It's the journey. It's our journey. And you have to see Cello Comes Home, our, our, the beginning of our educational, children's educational. Yeah, but that's written by White Feather, is it not? So, so this is written by Dr. Ross McPhee okay. and Dr. Simon Mills. Right. And um, Born to Rewild is written by me and it is the journey. And it's really, I have to say, it's easy, good reading. And it, but but it's fun. It's supposed to bring you along and just tell you, tell you what's going on. And, and I just want to say, you know, we are about fairness and balance and everybody should be happy and all good things and, you know, health and happiness and children's education and, and compassion, compassion. And humanity and compassion. You gotta leave it right there because we're out of time and I'm not, they're not going to be so compassionate with me if we go too long, <laughs> but I will say two things I got to say, thank you for being here. That's one thing. So maybe it's three things. The other thing is October 11th, 2022 will be the compassion awards the first ever here's my little heart that first ever compassion awards the professionals and animal lovers show brings you that i leave you with this thank you ross thank you manda for being here in his total commitment to nonviolence, gandhi always included the animals by stating the greatness of a nation and its moral progress can be judged by the way its animals are treated we'll leave it there folks thank you see you next week bye Yay, gandhi. Thank, you. thank you for having us business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. on edge hey we live in challenging edgy times so let's lean in i'm sandra bargeman the host of the edge of every day which airs each monday at 7 p.m eastern time on talkradio.nyc tune in live with me and my friends and colleagues as we share stories and perspectives about pushing boundaries and exploring our rough edges that's the edge of every day on mondays at 7 p.m eastern time on talkradio.nyc informed about menopause and how it impacts on your life? Hi, 
I'm Pat Duckworth, women's health strategist and host of the Hot Women Rock radio show, empowering women leaders at menopause. Join me every Thursday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. UK Time on talkradio.nyc for interviews with inspirational women who will share their top tips to rock your world. In a post-COVID world, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be Frank About Health to advocate for all of us. Gateway to the Smokies. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Tuesday night from 6 p.m. to 7. Every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and surrounding areas. This show features experts and locals who will expound upon the richness of culture, history, and adventure that awaits you in the Smokies. Tune in every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. 